Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Ron Perti Show. Welcome to the Ron Perti Show. This week we have Stephen Sapellis here. We're talking about the new pilot that he's been working on, Hot and Nerdy, and we're going to talk about Weenie Girlfriends, because I do, uh, and I'm hoping that maybe by talking about the series, he can shed some light on that, because, uh, yeah, that's a lot of... And we're going to find out a little bit about reality TV. Not, I wouldn't call it reality TV, but I guess morning or daytime TV would be the best thing. So, Stephen, thank you so much for being on the program. Oh, thank you for having me, Ron. I'm very excited to be here. It's It's been a long time coming. Definitely. I feel like we've been talking about it for a while. I just never really was doing anything worth note. So, Well, I mean, I think we started talking about it right when you were pitching. Um, was it the Kickstarter or was it Indiegogo? For, it was Kickstarter for uh, for Hot and Nerdy. It was Indiegogo, yeah. Well, that, yeah, yeah. A, I think that's around when it happened. And then we hit our goal way earlier than I thought we would. So That's not a bad thing. It, it kind of worked. Yeah, so now you uh you're you're big in the nerd culture as am I. We we yes. we we have our 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 things. And uh now growing up though, you grew up in in Long Island, right? Yeah, I was born in uh in Queens, Jamaica Queens, and then when I was about three and a half, we moved to Bethpage on Long Island. Okay. That means so much to a guy from Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> but now, now, grow, now, when you were growing up, did you have a lot of exposure to, I guess, I, we have to use the term nerdy because it's not, there's not really any other kind of term we can use, I suppose. Sure, and, yeah. And were you exposed yeah. to a lot of that stuff? or? I was. I mean, growing up, I was, I was a big television freak. I just loved, you know, watching TV all day. Uh, and I gravitated towards superhero shows specifically uh the 60s batman show was my favorite thing as a kid uh still is my favorite thing uh and then you know comic books uh the the amazing spider-man cartoon uh was a big one the superman cartoons uh so yeah so so as a young kid that's the that was kind of my exposure now what was okay I, i always love asking this question of of fellow fellow geeks i guess of course what was your first comic book I was actually just talking to my wife about this, uh, and I'm sure she was very interested in the conversation. <laughs> uh, I was just telling her, I remember in second grade, I brought a Batman book to school, uh, Batman comic book, and it might have been an issue with Magpie. That was the name of the villain. Okay. Uh, and and my, and we had free reading. If we finished our work, we were allowed to read books. So I brought my comic book, and my teacher was like, oh, you can't read that. I was like, well, well why not? <laughs> And she's like, that's a comic book. That's not a book. I'm like, it's the same thing. I still hear the word book in there. Yeah. So that that's what I remember. And then I remember, I might still have it. There's a Captain America issue where he gets hit with some sort of ray and turns into a teenager. Oh, geez. He gets de-super soldiered. Oh, boy. Uh, so that was another big one. So, so Batman and Captain America are the two comic books that I remember. I remember going to – we had a, a – I don't know if it was a nationwide thing or if it was just a regional thing, but we had this thing called the Little Professor Bookstore, and they had this mm-hmm. little little rack with comic books on it. And I don't know what it was, but it was issue 273 of Uncanny X-Men, and on the cover is Strong Guy and Rogue fighting. 
<laughs> and the be- and I didn't realize it that I was actually on the cusp of the beginning of the end of Uncanny X Men because that's when the Mirror Island saga started with uh, with Shadow King. Of course. And yeah. when, when when all the X team, you know, the the, the X Factor and the X Men came together, and there was the all new X Factor with Havoc and and Polaris and all that. Um, I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea what was going on, but I was like, wow, this guy with these claws is pretty cool. You know, uh, and the guy who's throwing <laughs> well, the throwing the playing cards. Yeah, you know, he's pretty course, cool. Yeah. yeah. So well, that was. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we're kind of the same age, and I remember, like, nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty nine is kind of when the the dam broke a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and we got a comic book store in my town. It was called Heroes World, and that was just, I mean, like a life changing moment when I could go to a store. And buy comic books and look at, you know, toys and posters and and reference books. And I, and I remember seeing um, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, like right behind the counter and just being like, what? What is that? That looks that looks way scarier than the Batman I know. Yeah. It's like, why is he breaking a gun in half? What's going on? Did something happen <laughs> to him? Yeah. Yeah. Why is Batman mad? I, exactly. It's like what did you, what happened to him in his past? And yeah. then and then as you grow older, you're like, "Oh, we're, we're going to get his origin again." Great. Okay. I, I yeah, I can't believe how many times I've seen the Wayne family, uh, you know, get get killed in Crime Alley now. <laughs> it's like, it's almost like, "Okay, and they're going to shoot here, the pearls are going to drop there." Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for that again, Mr. Snyder. Thank you. That was great because we had to That's see it again. I, I thought I thought Spider-Man Homecoming was so wise not to show Uncle Ben get killed again my issue with homecoming though is that they never even mention uncle ben yeah yeah a lot of people said that yeah i could see that you know and then the whole iron spider thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way too but that's i I can see him like getting the suit and everything in an infinity war i can understand that Mm -hmm. but i i wanted more peter being peter and peter not having to rely on you know hey look what mr stark got me yeah i can see that yeah, that's uh, but um, I I'm still a big fan of of uh, Spider-Man Two with uh, Doc Ock. I think that was just so good. Yeah, I, I I often think that's my favorite comic book movie. Going back to like between that and Dark Knight, I think are the two that really set the tone. Yeah, just a little bit. I, I, you know, and I love how they threw in the whole like him getting rid of not have, losing his powers and all that kind of stuff. That was great. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Um but now you mentioned the comic shop opening and kind of everything being there for at your like at your visual disposal as it were. Um yes. now did growing up did your parents did they foster the idea of you reading comic books or was it kind of like uh ah you should be reading Tolstoy instead? You know my my parents uh didn't really mind it. Like my parents don't really uh they're not avid readers so i think just the idea that i was reading a book was was good enough for them right uh and they were both fans of the 60s batman i think they kind of turned me on to it initially so yeah they were cool with it and they and they put up with me asking daily to go to heroes world and uh later on to go to comic book convention so yeah they were very they've always been very supportive of my uh my nerdy interests now when i Nerdy stuff aside, because we could go on for hours about that stuff. We really could. But you and I share a love of a certain um, television producer, um, and that's Norman Lear. Yes. Now, when it comes to Norman Lear, 
what was the first thing you saw that he put out and how much of an effect does he did he had does he have on what you're doing now uh i i mean for for me it's it's as, as far back as i can remember you know once again i uh if i think back i was living in jamaica so i was three and a half jamaica queens not jamaica the island uh, <laughs> uh so i was about three and a half and my my parents loved all in the family it was there were reruns on our local fox station and uh it just felt to me like because i was a kid in queens that i was watching almost like a documentary right uh it, it felt like it, like if i walked down the street i could see archie bunker uh so yeah i mean as, as far back as i can remember Archie Bunker was a character that was in my house. Right now, now that actually took the the show took place in Jamaica Queens, didn't it? It took place in it's in uh, Astoria, right? I believe, but the house was actually in Forest Hills, and I eventually I moved to Forest Hills, and I lived about a mile away from that house. Oh, that's got. Did you make the? Did you did you make did you make the trek? Oh, many times. <laughs> And, many, and, many times. And is like the, the, did his like did you read up a lot about him when you found out? Because I know when you're younger and you're watching, you're just like, wow, there's people in this box in front of me who are doing things. Um, did you? At what point did you research Norman Lear and find out that he's this? I, I guess can we call him a comedic genius? Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. For I think that when I knew who he was was when they brought back. Um, there was like a spinoff of All in the Family called Seven Hundred Four Hauser Street. Yep. And I remember watching the Entertainment Tonight piece about that. So that was about 1995, I want to say. Uh, something like that right? sounds about right. Yeah, I kind of so, gave up on yeah. reboots when Gloria came out. Oh it's yeah, like, that's right. Uh, yeah. That was a Meredith. Yes, it was. And that how do, did it last like a season tops? I believe so. Yeah, that. Uh, I think that's. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, once I once I got into television writing and and wanting to do that norman lear was kind of my north star basically like i I liked the way he would mix the like you know the emotion of it with uh like you know the the storylines and the comedy and and it was always about the characters always coming from them uh and i and when yeah i mean we can get to weenie girlfriends in a bit but definitely uh norman lear was a, a huge huge inspiration and still is I know whenever I watch, and you see, this is the, why Norman Lear is so great. I think is the fact that you can, at times, even though Archie is like this horrible racist, let's be honest, yes. you know, you can sometimes you can empathize with him and be like, oh well, you know, maybe it's maybe he it was for him it was more, uh, he really is the product of the whole nurture versus nature type thing. Sure. You, you know, but then at times you can you know you hear Mike rambling on stuff. And you're just like, wow, you know, you're not exactly right either. Yeah, <laughs> true, very you know, true. I and, do, yeah, and same with Maud. Maud was a very similar way, where Maud portrayed the, you know, the flip side of, of the Archie Bunker Bunker character, and he and she was often wrong. Oh yeah, and that's what, and I and I loved how Maud was like one of the first shows to deal with abortion. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like Norman Lear, even today with the the reboot of. One day at a time, which I actually enjoy quite a bit. I thought I wasn't going to like it because it was like some Netflix kind of just throwaway, but it's actually not bad because it's dealing yeah, with I, a I lot of hot button issues. Really good. Yeah, like the the daughter being a lesbian and stuff. It's like, wow, that's just you know, okay, I get it. I, that's cool. Okay, and then yeah, you know, but uh, and, and he's not what he ninety five now. I think so. And he's I still working. So. 
I, I listen to his podcast every now and again. Yeah, I I can't. I have to. I have to be want to hear the guest he's got on. Like when he had Amy Poehler on, I was like, yes. I, I was all in for that. And I haven't kind of uh, like I have so many podcasts to catch up on. Uh, like it's I have, true, yeah. yeah, like the Alan Alda one. I keep subscribed to. Uh, not because I am a fan of like him talk him talking about communication. I'm just waiting for the Mash reunion that's coming. Um, is that is that coming? It's coming, and oh, the okay. only one to that one as well. Yeah, the only one I think I'm trying to remember now was Mash a big thing for you growing up too? I remember. I again, I remember living in in my house in Queens and and seeing my dad watch Mash and just knowing that it was a show for my dad and not for me. <laughs> So a lot of those jokes go, you know, you really have to be a certain age to get the jokes on that show. That was not yeah. something that where a lot of like the the movie, like, for instance, Ghostbusters, kids can enjoy it because they can see all the ghosts and all the proton packs and all that kind of stuff. But the jokes are there for the adults. And, Definitely. you know, oh, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what MASH was. Well, MASH didn't have any anything for the kids unless kids like blood. No, no. War is a very. uh <laughs> A very tough concept for a three-year-old. So, oh, I can imagine. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it. That's, didn't land for me. Yeah, that I was like, hmm, what's going on here? Okay, and then as you get older, you're like, oh, well, this is actually pretty smart. But I'm yeah. I'm one of those guys who sits there and I'm just I'm watching Mash and I'm just like, okay, well, that's that's wrong and that's wrong and like they talk about, oh, well, Godzilla's going to be playing. No, it's not because it didn't come yeah. out. It wasn't out in 1953. Sorry. You know, there, there was no internet to look to, you know, to see, uh, to see what they got wrong on MASH back then. No, well, now that's all anybody does. You know, I was, <laughs> I was, remember I was talking to Joe Bob Briggs and, uh, we were talking about how, um, before the internet, nobody gave a damn about that kind of stuff. They just kind of like, and then people would freeze frame things and just kind of frame by frame. Yeah. You know, getting to the, 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 so now, okay, we're, 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 we're you're growing up and things are going great. You're watching. You're all in the family. You're loving your Norman Lear Correct. now, which is always an amazing thing. Uh, now, at what point did you decide that you wanted to write, be a TV writer? Because, and now here's the thing: is I we'll talk about we need girlfriends and we need girlfriends in a second. But I think a lot of shows that came out on like on YouTube and Vimeo and stuff that's the new TV because there's not a lot. I mean, people are talking about the golden age of television again. But yes. a lot of that is on Netflix now. So it's That's kind true. of, you know, you're kind of like you, you have to look to, to the online for, for quality television. But at what point did you decide I, this is this is what I want to do? I want to do what Norman does. You know, uh, so speaking of Ghostbusters, I remember being in first grade. Ghostbusters was like the thing, uh, you know, back then. And I was just learning how to read. And I and I read that the same guys who played egon and ray had written the movie and that was just mind-blowing to me as as a, a seven-year-old uh and that's when i realized that you could that people wrote movies and that's kind of when i started doing my own stuff like in first grade writing little short stories and writing little movies uh and then that i mean that just continued through <laughs> until i was ready to go to college and i decided to become a film major um and then was just going to do films and that was my goal and then i teamed up with my two friends brian amiot and angel acevedo and that's when we went from film to the web series uh route and that's kind of when that became the thing now when it comes to you were a film major at, at what point did you th see 
um, I guess, web TV. We'll just call it that for lack of a better term. At what point did that become where you wanted to go? I mean, because you spent all this time as a film major and all of a sudden, like, yeah. yeah, I'm going to work in TV instead. Well, you know, we so we were uh, Brian Angel and I, we were living together. We were making films together. We were doing competition films, so uh, it would be a 24-hour film festival, 48-hour film festival, right. where you have that amount of time to write and produce a movie. Um, and so we were getting pretty good at it. We were getting good at uh, at working as a unit. Um, and then we were going to do a big short film, like a 20 or 30-minute short film. Uh, and the goal was always to make a feature film. That, that's all that we wanted to do. Uh, but feature films take a couple of weeks to shoot at least. And they take a lot of money and we had neither the time nor the money. Right. Um, so Brian had started to see, you know, web shows kind of pop up uh, specifically channel one one was kind of, uh, was kind of starting up. Right. Uh, and so he said, why don't we do that instead? Uh, we can tell like a longer story uh, over the course of 10 to 12 episodes. And that was, that was the start of it. That was kind of the germ of the, of the idea to move from making short films and then longer short films to making a, an ongoing series. Right. Now, um, when it comes to your, your stuff, the stuff that you write, I'm, I'm no, I noticed that a lot of your, you put a lot of yourself into it. Yes. Um, and what was the impetus? I guess I'm trying to use my word a day calendar, um, of, of we need girlfriends. So it was so it so we made that in 2006, and so we were you know broke. We were <laughs> living in New York, which is expensive. We were all basically you know production assistants, uh, you know, working kind of low low end jobs. And so when we started to think, well, let's do a show. It's like, well, what do we have? Well, we have an apartment, <laughs> uh, and that's about it. And we have the streets around the apartment. Uh, and so we started to think of, well, what can, what kind of story can we tell in that? Thing? Uh, and at the time, uh, we had all had girlfriends in college, and then we all broke up around the same time. And so Brian Angel and I were single together and spending all of our time together. And then we started to watch um, Entourage. And it was like the exact opposite of our lives. Right. And so I said, I was like, why don't we just do Entourage, but like, you know, about us, like three guys who just never, it never works out for them. They never uh, do well with girls and they're never invited to the cool parties. It's just three guys in Queens trying to survive after a breakup and see what the next step is. And so that was kind of where it started. And, and we literally, I mean, the three characters were myself, Brian and Angel, just to a T. Uh, so <laughs> we did not differ that far from our personalities and now when you were sitting that was you you were the one that wrote basically wrote everything did they come to you with stories about their lives to kind of slide into the, the scripts or was a lot of it made up or it, it was uh, it was all of that i mean i mean most of it was just stuff that that happened to us that we'd say oh that would be funny um before we shot anything we kind of roughed out you know, uh, I think 12 episodes, basically, uh -huh. you know, like uh, not every episode individually, but kind of like the long arc of where the story would go. Right. And then through the course of the year that we made it, we would, uh, you know, things would happen to us and we'd say, oh, that'd be great for an episode of Weenie Girlfriends. 
and you know, specifically, a lot of the dialogue exchanges were real from us. Um, the character moments were very real from us. So it, it was, you know, we were living it. Um, we were living the show. We were working on the show. It was just like there was no separation basically at that point. And and then now you did uh, twelve episodes, ten episodes. I forget how many. We we did we produced twelve, but only eleven were released. There was an, an issue with one of them. What was the issue with the one that never came out? There there was a camera issue. Basically, we there was an issue with one of the playback heads on a camera, and we thought it was recording wrong. And so when we we used the backup camera, and that had issues, and so the sound and video was just basically unusable. Is that something that could maybe with the 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 advancements of technology be fixed? We uh, actually, I think it was two years ago. We like looped the dialogue and we posted it, and uh, yeah, it's online now. It, it looks and sounds awful, but <laughs> it's it's there. It's 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 yeah. You you got to finish it, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's funny when we when we posted it, we realized you know what this was never a, a good episode. <laughs> So it's almost a, a great thing that it worked out. Like the script was not that good. And so it's almost like the filmmaking gods were on our side that day. You, you love it when happy accidents happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, oh, I that's my whole, my entire career is happy accidents. Um, <laughs> now, do you uh, think that you could ever revisit We Need Girlfriends? I mean, especially because the position you're in now, you're married with kids, you know, that kind of. Is that something that's in your past that you couldn't reconnect with? Yeah, you know, for, so for it to happen again, and we did talk, I mean, so we stopped making it in 2007. Uh, so we have talked about it through the years. I think a few years ago we were going to do a three-episode kind of reunion special, but it just never worked out for whatever reason. Like We've all kind of, uh, myself and Brian and Angel who produced it and the three actors, uh, Seth, Patrick, and Evan, we've all, uh, kind of moved across the country and our lives are in different places. And so it would take a lot of effort to get, to get that back. Right. Right. No, I'm plus, I mean, mentally you're probably in a different place too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I could always write for those characters. I, 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 I loved writing for those characters. It's just, you know, it would have to be with that same group of people. Right. Right. And, and plus I think, um, and what you, you know, before we get going, because we're gonna be talking about hot and nerdy, don't worry. Sure. Because uh, I have we have I have many things to discuss when it comes to hot and nerdy, okay, uh, and I and I, I don't want to spoil things, but one of them <laughs> has to do with one of the characters holding a certain toy from a certain movie. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, but you did something else after We Need Girlfriends, but I, in my mind, is drawing a blank because what I remember is is you were shooting something. Okay. And I I want to say Rob G and Tom Holland show up. Yep. Yeah. What was that? that, was, that what was, was that? That was a series called My Future Girlfriend. Yes. Another, yes. Another girlfriend show. It was like a like a basically like a sci-fi comedy version of The Terminator. And how did how how long did that go? We sh we made uh, five episodes and we released them all at, at the same time. It was kind of like a mini movie. Okay. Like a mini series, like a like a British show. Yes. Yeah. Something uh, like that. Now that was how 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 much pressure was there having Tom Holland sitting there? <laughs> well, so basically, yeah, my, my friend Rob uh, Rob Galuzzo uh, had made um, a documentary about the Psycho sequels called The Psycho Legacy, and through that he became friends with Tom, 
and Fright Night is one of my favorite movies of it, all time. It's so good. Oh my god, it's the best. And and Tom wanted to make his own web stuff at the time. He was uh, experimenting with that, so we became like kind of pen pals via email. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, like I would just go get lunch with Tom Holland, and it was he's the nicest guy. He's got the best stories. And so eventually he came to the set of this show and it was like, it was almost like that scene in Ed Wood when, uh, Bella Lugosi comes to set. Oh yeah. Ed Wood freaks out. He gets so excited. I was so excited to have him there and he was, you know, great supportive and said it was going well and, you know, hugging everyone, patting everyone on the back. So that's, uh, that's the greatest story ever. Pressure was, was pretty easy just cause Tom Holland is, is super nice. That's so awesome. That is so great. Now you've you went to film school. You were a film major. You've made We Need Girlfriends and My Future Girlfriend. And now uh, we'll we'll talk briefly about this. You work in daytime TV. That's correct. What yes. exactly do you do in daytime TV? So about six and a half years ago, I moved up to to Connecticut, and I've been writing and producing the promos for a company owned by Maury Povich. Oh boy! And so we, yeah, and so we do all the promos for. We've done the Maury Show. We've done the Jerry Springer Show, a show called the Trisha Goddard Show, Crazy Talk, uh, many, many different daytime talk shows. And so yeah, that's how I've been uh, making a living these past few years. Now, how does that influence on a technical aspect um, a show like Hot and Nerdy, which we're going to get to in, in a few minutes? Uh, yeah, I think for me the biggest uh, influence was. Uh, the editing style, which is that, you know, now, now with, with my current job, I have to tell a story in a short amount of time, uh, 30 seconds. And so to me, I'm always looking at ways, okay, how do we cut this down? How do we cut this down? Uh, I, I think that's kind of been the biggest benefit of doing, you know, whatever we do, 300, 400 promos a year. Sweet Jesus. That's a lot yeah. of, that's a lot of you are not the fathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... I've written that line many times. <laughs> is it when you type when you type it out? Is it just autofill at this point? <laughs> My brain does the autofilling. Is he the father? Yeah. What will the results say? Oh, jeez. That's yeah. oh man. I yeah. Oh boy. I remember uh, I used to watch that stuff all the time, and then it just was like, wow, this is the same as the other one that was on. But um, that's not that's not up to you. You just write the no. promos. Yeah, so. I just do the promos. Yeah, so um, we're going to take a really quick break here, folks, and we will be back to talk Hot and Nerdy, the new pilot. Um, uh, we'll be, so we'll be right back with uh, Stephen Sapolis. You're listening to The Ron Pertee Show. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it, and you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the U.S. never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. 
Cook it, store it, share it, just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. For you, the listeners of The Ron Pertee Show, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recommend Pedal Your Own Canoe by Nick Offerman, read by Nick Offerman. It's just amazing to hear him uh, read the book and add little things here and there. It's just fantastic. And there's just Amy Poehler's got one, Tina Fey. If you're a fan of comedy, a fan of autobiographies, definitely Definitely some stuff to check out. Uh, so head over to download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Ron Show. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash Ron Show for your free audiobook. The following is made possible by Dad. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling all over it. <laughs> the Dad Joke. Corny. Grown-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. Why do you have to be careful when it's raining cats and dogs? Because you might step in a poodle. (laughs) And kids that spend more time with their dads grow up to be smarter, more successful. Can I tell you a cat joke? Just kidding. (laughs) And with any luck, funnier adults. Why didn't the skeleton go to the dance? Because he didn't have any body to go with. Dad jokes rule. So take a moment to make a moment and give your kid a laugh. (laughs) It's as easy as going to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. (laughs) That's really funny. All right, everybody, we are back. I'm here with Steven Sapelis, the, the writer and executive producer, showrunner, I guess you could say, of Hot and mm-hmm. Nerdy, which is uh, a new pilot that uh, I'm not exactly sure how you could see. How can people see it if they want to see it? Well, uh, right now we're, we're submitting to festivals, so that's the best way. Uh, or you can just shoot me an email or find me on Twitter, and I'll, uh, I'll send you the link. Now, the thing I have, I have, I have so many questions about this. Um, sure. first and foremost, let's get this out of the way and this will, we'll see who the real fans of this show are after this conversation about the prequels. Uh, there, <laughs> there is a character and they have a connection to the prequels. Uh, yep. and you said that that person's basically made up their mind when it comes to liking that movie or not. Uh, yes. the Phantom, cause we should quantify this. That is the show is set in, you said May of 2000. Yeah. Or, it starts in, it starts in May of 2000. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, now, if if you have your druthers and the show does a complete run with everything you have set in your head, because a lot of times now with shows they have a they have a distinct ending, like the, a point where sure. they want to end the show. Do you have like a, a a time frame that you want the show to follow? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so basically, the show is about um, a pair of you know comic book nerds on Long Island who are shocked when they see the first girl they've ever seen at the comic book convention. Uh, and, ba- and so it's about nerd culture kind of becoming accepted. And to me that, you know, so the show starts in May of 2000 to me, by the time Iron Man came out in 2008, that's when it was just mainstream for everyone. Right. And that was like the big comic con year and all that stuff. So that's to me, that's when it should 
that would be the ending point. So basically, Robert Downey Jr. made being a nerd cool. I think I think that was the turning point. I mean, like the final kind of nail on the coffin of this being a uh, niche uh, thing for basically children, and then <laughs> and then you know the the, the people that like like me who they would call weirdo and nerd and all that kind of stuff oh i totally get you there i mean i remember uh i the only kind of shows i would go to would be at like vfw halls yep and they would be uh one room sequestered off to the back because no one wanted the only people that would even want to go in there were the people who really wanted to go in there yeah uh and it was just i had no idea what i was doing when i would go into these places i was not as uh, well versed by this point as your characters are, um, yeah. So I was kind of because I remember uh, at a certain point in high school, high school just got too overwhelming, and I had to stop uh, mm-hmm. collecting. Um, and then there was a brief period just recently where I, I've only been recollecting again for like I think the last I want to say f- five years. It was okay. right. It was right around the time that the uh, um, the Valiant reboot. Okay. So, um, and that's something only you, I, and other nerds will get. Um, <laughs> but uh, remember when Archer and Armstrong were weird? No. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, because I used to read in high school, I used to read Quantum and Woody from the original Valiant line. So that's, yeah. yeah oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Um, but, um, so the show basically, I mean, tell me if I'm getting this, if I'm getting this right or wrong, uh, is the comic book nerds meeting the girl. At the at the thing and at the convention, and what ideally, I mean, at, at you know what we're gonna stop this line of questioning and we're okay. gonna we're gonna go on to something else because I lost my train of thought. Okay. Yeah, congratulate and this and you know what and it's staying in people. You get to hear my flubs. This is this is John <laughs> John Stewart's fault. Um, so let's let's we're talking about this during the break. The prequels. Yes. Uh, much like the character in your show, have you made mm-hmm. up your mind about them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I hate them. But so I'm now – it's now – I mean, it's almost 20 years since the first one. Right. So I, it's starting to get to that point of nostalgia for me where I'm like, oh, I, I kind of miss uh, that time. where I, Like that innocence of not knowing how they're going to be. Right, right. And, and getting excited about new characters like Qui-Gon Jinn and – uh, Jar Jar Binks. Oh, Jar Jar. Oh. Yeah, and 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 actually, so I made an Indiegogo video for this uh, project, uh, and I unearthed like my uh, a video where my friends and I camped out for Star Wars tickets. Oh boy, uh, we were out there for seventeen hours, and it was incredibly embarrassing. I mean, I was at, like as nerdy as a human being could be, uh, and I, you know, I. I put it in there just because I, I really wanted people to see my level of commitment to this project. Right, right. I um I remember I I also kind of camped out for tickets, but uh, yeah, we felt like we had to back then. Oh, exactly. And I but here's the funny thing, and uh, this is kind of a it's an aside, but it's not an aside. There's a guy that comes into the comic shop I go to, um, which has been there for 26 years, 27 oh, years. Wow. So it's like yeah, it's it's. You know, and and if you're looking for old stuff, the owner's got it. Uh, he's got comics as far back as like uh, Avengers Four. Oh wow! So yeah, he's uh, and if he has doubles, he's more than willing to sell you 
um, his Silver Age stuff. He's no qualms about that. Uh, I actually, I actually have an issue on hold. It's not the best issue, but it's Fantastic Four fifty nine. I think. I, yeah, I just actually, I was going, I, I was on eBay recently, just kind of perusing some of those, and I was, I lost a bit on number fifty one, which I'm, I'm very upset about. Which one was fifty one? That was. Uh... That's uh, this man, this monster. Oh, I love that cover. Oh, it's such a good cover. I love that cover, and uh, I actually uh, I splurged and picked up the uh, the hundred and fifty dollar Fantastic Four omnibus that just came out. It's like the first fifty issues. Oh wow, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big one, and it's on the good paper and all that kind of stuff. But we now let me get back to where I was. Stupid Fantastic Four. Um, <laughs> better come back to Marvel and be good. Um, I hope so. No. That was always my favorite comic book. My favorite uh, Marvel comic. I I didn't really get into the Fantastic Four until I got older, and you could and I because I think you really had to appreciate uh, the whole family aspect of yes. it. That was a that's a huge dynamic uh, for it. And then when they started adding, adding like Valeria and Franklin, it's just like, oh, I can't relate to these people. Um, but um, the, so the, there's a guy that comes into the comic shop, and mm-hmm. he was first in line, and he comes running out of the theater. And he's like, I got the first four seats. And he's just like, he's just like obnoxious about it. And the entire crowd turned on him and they just like railed on him. And it was probably the best thing I've ever seen in my life Uh, because I I hate if there's one thing I hate more than like jocks who uh, cultural uh, appropriate the culture of nerds. By yes. like wearing, going to Target and getting a faded Captain America shirt and saying they're a fan. They've been oh, a fan ever since the first Avenger. Yeah. Um, Anyone it, with muscles, I don't buy as a comic book fan. Exactly. Uh, the only thing I hate worse than that are, are ob- obnoxious nerds. Yeah. Like the ones who are always like, well, no, actually, it's this, this, and this. You know? Yes. And, well, and, and, and in my pilot, I, I purposely put in that character. Like, oh, yes. Like the kind of the, the comic book shop know-it-all. Yep. Who would always be hanging around the counter, always be like, oh, well, it, you know, it's not good anymore. And this movie sucks. And here's who should have played Batman. Uh, and actually, I just like I just went to my local comic book store last week and I and there was a guy there who was that guy oh. who was saying how Black Panther's overrated and Captain Marvel is going to be terrible and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, these guys still exist. Oh, yeah, they they still exist. And they're, I think they're starting to get worse. Um, but, uh, it, uh, um, um, it's kind of, it's just weird, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you have, uh, you have those kind of people and you kind of have to deal with them now, but let's, let's get deeper into hot and nerdy. Sure. Um, I, I think I know which character is you. Yes. I think, I think anybody who watches it would know which character is you. Yeah, well, so there's the, the lead character's name is Alan, and that's basically how I was in the year 2000. Just completely uncomfortable in my in my own skin and socially awkward. And yeah, that's so that's that's definitely based on me. Well, the thing about that though is is I think that character is a little bit more socially um, uh, okay. I can't think of a better word than that um, than his friend because he, he didn't come walking out of a convention covered in green. True. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and that's not a spoiler because you don't know what what the hell I'm talking about. So no, you're, you're no, we're okay. No one yes. Knows. yes. Yeah. So so the, so the two leads were played by uh, by Justin Chesney and and Keelan Sarno, and 
And yeah, so Alan is the kind of dopey, sweet, very socially awkward guy. And then uh, Phil, who's played by Keeland, is completely oblivious to the world around him, thinks he's great and kind of doesn't realize that he's the, like, you know, uh, wearing sweatpants in public and and being obtuse and crude and all this kind of stuff. Right. No, I, 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 I know those people, too. Uh, I hang out with them. Um, but, uh, <laughs> let me, let me ask you this because you actually focus on a couple of, they're not obscure characters, uh, sure. in, in the comic book world, but they're not exactly talked about a lot. Um, one in particular, and we won't go into how she's talked about, but mm-hmm. one of them is she Hulk. Yes. And it's before her current, um, kind of like she's taken over for her cousin type thing where she's savage. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't like the new Avengers stuff. I, it's, it's just, I don't get it. I don't, I guess maybe I'm too old, but, um, uh, what was the reason to focus on her so much? I, I, well, again, this is kind of a semi autobiographical piece. And I remember, so spoiler alert focus, like there's kind of a focus in that scene on the Marvel swimsuit ed- edition. Right. Right. Which, which I, I a, had a real I had. thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> very odd. They were very sexy pictures of, of all of our favorite heroes kind of scantily clad. And I remember my friend and I in like seventh grade, he was like, Oh, you, you got to check it out. I got the Marvel swimsuit edition. And it was like this kind of secretive dirty thing. And so I, like that image of she Hulk, I guess just never left my, uh, my mind. It was just so, so out there. So once it like, that was one of the first things I wrote for this, uh, this show. And it, it kind of stuck through every draft. Now, speaking of drafts, now, do you, when you sit down to write a pilot like this, do you go from beginning to end or do you just kind of have sections that you write and then they piece it all together later? So with this particular one, uh, I had written it as like kind of a full length pilot uh, a few years ago, and it took place uh, in the past. So like the late 90s, and it also took place in the present. So you kind of saw a kind of a back and forth uh, who they were then versus who they are now. Right. And then when I decided to to produce this uh, at the beginning of last year, people always really liked the parts where they were like the, you know, the flashback stuff to the late nineties, early two thousands. Right. And so to me, I was like, well, that's kind of the natural way to make a show. Uh, shows like the Goldbergs are kind of highlighting what it was like growing up in specific periods of time. And I thought it could kind of fit into that, that kind of box. And so I decided to put all the focus onto that. And, and that kind of changed it to, to a kind of more of a, of an, of a nostalgia piece versus, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, a passage through time. Well, plus I think having to do uh, current day and then flashbacks might have been, I mean, because, you know, you raised a lot of money on Indiegogo, but yep. in comparison to what a normal pilot would cost, uh, you were pretty minuscule, your budget was pretty minuscule. Yes, yeah. I mean, there was no way we could have done like kind of the full length pilot and shown both time periods. Um, now the big question here, and it's just a real quick one at, at some point when the show gets picked up, because the show is going to get picked up. Let's be honest. Well, it's, really, it's really good from your lips to the executive's ears. That's right. Listen to me, people. <laughs> um, do you, would you have wanted a, a Stan cameo? Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Stanley was, was the greatest. Well, now that we can't, who would you want? I mean, to, you know, so I guess to, to my generation, 
kind of like that kind of voice, the, the guy that kind of uh, talked to you and kind of compelled you to want to be a writer and be creative was Kevin Smith. I mean, that's he was the first guy to make it seem possible for me where, you know, you can just kind of make something with your friends, with a hockey stick, boom mic, and all that kind of stuff. So I think Kevin Smith would be incredible. Oh, yeah, and now he's actually back to his uh, pre-clerk's weight, so it'll, it'll work. Yeah, I saw that. That's uh, I, You know what? I love the guy. Don't get me wrong. I have my moments where I'm not a fan of what he does, but, like, yoga hosers for, are just, oh, come on, please. Why, Kevin? But um, <laughs> I, um, uh, I think he looks a little sick. Well, he did have some health issues recently. Yeah, so. but, I mean, there's losing weight, and then, like, I think he lost it really fast. Yeah, yeah. And that, and, you know, but, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, Hey, all the, all more, all the power to him for getting healthy. That's great. Sure. You know? Uh, and I, I can't wait to see him reboot Jay and Bob. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's doing that. I mean, you know, like that, that original New Jersey trilogy was like the Holy Trinity of indie, of like independent films when I was in high school. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I've always, and I've always thought I was a better writer than director, just like him. Um, yes. yeah, um, yeah. He, yeah, he's definitely. Now that's something else I wanted to ask, or a couple of things I want to ask you real quick. First off, um, why is it you've never directed your own stuff? I have in the past. I directed a few episodes of Weenie Girlfriends. Um, I just so Robert Vornkall directed this. Uh, he was a friend from college, and he's directed a couple feature films uh, that you can find on Amazon, uh, Nowhere, Michigan, and Completely Normal. And you know, directing and writing are two totally different skills. And I've always felt more comfortable writing the story than I have kind of leading the charge on a set. Right. Uh, and I knew we had to do this in two days. Uh, and it was a lot of, you know, there were different sets and uh, kind of a big cast in the, in the convention scenes. So I needed someone who was a leader and who could take kind of my creative vision and take it to the next step. And so Rob was the natural choice for me. Now that's something that people don't seem to understand is you, you're the, basically you're the showrunner and what people yes. don't seem to understand when it comes to TV is that the showrunner, you don't as, as the showrunner, you're basically the head writer too. And when, mm-hmm. it, when it breaks down to is that a lot of people complain when it comes to films, like, Oh, I wrote that script. But in the, at the end in post, it's like you're rewriting it again. Um, now the problem with that is with TV, you don't run into that issue because you wrote it and you're there getting final cut as the, as the showrunner, you have a say over how the ending comes. So that's kind of like, I wonder if that's why TV is so like this, this golden chalice, uh, for, for filmmaking now. Yeah. Well, and you know, so I also worked very closely with my supervising producer, producer, uh, Becca Valenti. Um, and we, we're kind of, you know, on the ground, finding the locations, uh, assembling the cast and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it was a real team effort from all the people involved. And, and I just, you know, because I wrote it, I had a, a passion for what I wanted to see from it. But, right. you know, all of these people contributed uh, to this and, and brought their own uh, taste to the project. Now, was there a big difference between from the, the final draft of the, of the script to what you see on the screen after editing? No, I mean, we cut a few lines, but it was pretty much the exact same thing. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I I, uh, I like when things just move smoothly like that. Yes. yes. Yeah, it was, <laughs> there were many, I'm kind of like a uh, an obsessive when it comes to, to writing and rewriting, so I, there were, there were many drafts that I just did on my own, like tweaking little lines here and there. 
Right, right. I well, I remember I reading a draft of of the the like an early draft mm-hmm. where I think they were wasn't there one where they were at San Diego? Yes. Yeah. Or, or New York. Yeah, New York. New York yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's a that's a pretty early draft, wasn't it? Yeah. That I mean that was 2014, and so that that had actually I, I brought it to the Austin Film Festival. It was accepted to the Austin Film Festival. So that was that's around that time. Yeah. So see, people, you can get your scripts uh, submitted to film festivals too, and they'll, and you can win stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah the Austin Film Festival uh, is is the best one I've been to as Very far as writing cool. festivals. Perfect. Now here's the next question, and I have to ask this. My nerd side will not let me not ask this question. Of course. Whose collection was that? <laughs> uh, so some of it was mine. Uh, most of it was my friend Bob Winters, who is the best. Uh, and he's in the show. He plays Kevin, who's the tall guy that the, um, the, the dealer who, who wants, who, who's angry at him about nipples in the bat suit is always yelling at. Uh, okay. And Bob came to my house with, I mean, just a trunk full of his own stuff and was very proud of it. And, and I'm glad so much of it is in the show. So I hit, so who, whose collection did the, the swimsuit issue come from? Uh, I, I specifically bought that for the show, that was, <laughs> so I had to go on eBay for that one. Would that would, would something like that run you? I gotta ask uh, what that's going I, for now. I think it was ten to fifteen dollars. Oh, see, now it's with, gonna it's gonna shipping. go up higher now. It's gonna go up higher now once the show if, gets picked up. If someone wants to buy the 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 actual copy, they're they're welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> now, you when you're doing the Indiegogo, you were giving away your own collection. To, yes. to certain tiers. Now, why did you want to do that? Uh, just, <laughs> I gotta ask, why? Just uh, for incentives, like to, to try to uh, motivate people. And actually, in addition to that, I sold a lot of my own personal memorabilia on eBay to fund some of this. What's so, the what's the what's the one thing that you are gonna miss the most that you had to sell on eBay? Uh, that's the easiest question anyone's ever asked me. The I had a superpowers Plastic Man figure. Oh no! Yeah. And I, I have a lot of the superpowers figures, and, and Plastic Man was one of my favorites. And uh, yeah, but you know, I can't complain. It, it was such an incredible uh, experience that it, it, you know, it was all worth it in the end. It was totally worth it. Totally worth it. Um, so now, where are what are your hopes for this? You're, you're going to be submitting it to festivals and stuff. It doesn't have the usual runtime of a of a, a television program because even with commercials now, what is it? Twenty two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, 20, 20 to twenty one. Okay, so you're you. When I watched it, was what fifteen? Yes. Yeah. So now, what are your? Are you looking for like kind of some like a Netflix type thing or a TV or how do you? Where? What's your ideal goal for this? I mean, yeah. I mean, my ideal goal is to sell this as an ongoing series. Uh, I think streaming or web would be great, but I'm also obviously open to to network. Uh, having done that in the past. Uh, I just want to tell more stories about these characters in this world. Uh, you know, the what it was like to be a nerd before nerd culture was a thing. Right. And also, just I, I really like the characters. Um, uh, you know, the lead, the leads, Alan and Phil, uh, the character of Becky, who's played by Galia Loeb. Uh, I think there's so many story opportunities there to tell a story about two guys who've never had a female friend and to see how they change as the world changes around them. 
Yeah, I mean, and when you're, I remember as I was growing up and watching things change like that, you're kind of like, wow, this is a, this is great, and and, and but then you realize that everybody is going to be in on this now, and you, <laughs> you know, it used to be where if something like Batman's wedding came up, it was you'd get the speculators that would come in. You know, yeah, because there's. I think people don't don't seem to understand when it comes to collecting uh, comic book stuff is that there's collectors and that there's speculators, mm-hmm. and that yeah yeah you know and then I, we we get all of the, the same the, the, all the kind at uh, uh, at the comic shop here in town and uh, you hate those people because they come in and they'll buy five or six copies of a comic and it's like well I didn't get my copy like well they already came in and bought them all. Yes. You know, yeah. and all they're, all they're doing is to put it on eBay. Yeah, and I remember, so I remember, like, uh, in the early 90s, going to baseball card conventions. My, my dad was big into those. And, mm. and you would see people buy, I mean, just stacks and stacks of these of these baseball cards, thinking that they would one day be worth something. And, and, then, then, and then that kind of trickled into comic books with, like, the hologram covers and the different oh, editions. Oh, boy. But, yeah, but... You know, guys like us who just want to read them, it's a right. different animal. Oh, definitely. And, and and we're we're at a point where it's like, okay, well, I got to worry about how much room I have left to put stuff, you know. And they're just like, well, I'll just I'll just sell it. It's like, I don't yeah. want to. No, I don't want to yeah. sell it. You know, it, it it breaks your heart to sell it. Like uh, when you mentioned the super powered plastic man. Yeah. That's you know, it it uh, it's not exactly an easy thing being a nerd. Um, and and not from a social standpoint anymore, <laughs> you know. But um, and and just and then, like I told you before, I'm gonna say this so everybody can hear it this time. Uh, everybody who knows me knows that I detest the Big Bang Theory. I think it is a pile of hot garbage. <laughs> um, hot and nerdy is the anti Big Bang Theory. It shows what nerds really are like, not uh, like whatever Jim Parsons is doing. Um, I just, was that what you were going for? Kind of like, Hey, no, this is how we really are. Well, so, uh, we need girlfriends, uh, had sold to CBS, uh, in 2007, which was the, you know, when the big bang theory premiered. And so we were told just watch, you know, watch how I met your mother and watch the big bang theory. And so, yeah, it was, it's, you know, you wear a Green Lantern shirt now, and people say, "Oh, it's, you're just like uh, uh, Sheldon." And it's like, no, I'm not. This is <laughs> this is the Green Lantern, and this is a person I've loved for years. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't like that kind of uh, big, broad, nerdy character. I, I think that that there are many dimensions to these characters that uh, are not present in that show. But oh. you know, they're trying to do the big CBS sitcom, so. Yeah, definitely, and that's uh, I don't know, I don't know. So, um, where can people? Uh, okay, well, first let's ask you this: What do you have uh, on down the pipe? I mean, is there is there more you're working on now, or are you just kind of focusing on hot and nerdy? Uh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm focusing on hot and nerdy. I'm uh, writing more of it, developing more of a pitch, and uh, hoping that I can, you know, start showing it to, to people uh, once it has the festival run. Well, that's awesome. And where can people find you on the uh, uh, internet? Oh, geez. Let's see. What's my Twitter name again? I forget. I think it's Stephen Staples eighty one. Okay, that's Does probably that make the... sense. Oh yeah, yeah, that definitely <laughs> makes sense because I I would hate to try and 
pronounce my name and make people spell it. Yes, uh, Stephen yeah. Staples eighty one. And if if you want to see Hot and Nerdy, feel free to message me, and I'll I'll send you the link. It's worth it, people. So you should really definitely do that. Um, and uh, I would love to have you back on so we can talk more and we can talk about how what happened with We Need because we're running out of time here. But we can talk about. Um, um, actually, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna you know what? This is what we're gonna do, people. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a little extra post show where we talk about oh, something cool. else. It'll only be for a few minutes. But I want to thank everybody for listening. Head over to Ron World. All the links and everything. Um, have yourself a good week, and don't forget to feed the fish. Thank <laughs> you.